Welcome to Civics and Coffee. My name is Alicia and I am a self-professed history nerd. Each week, I'm going to chat about a topic on U.S. history and give you both the highlights and occasionally break down some of the complexities in history and share stories you may not remember learning in high school, all in the time it takes to enjoy a cup of coffee. Welcome back, everybody. This week, we're going to dive into one of the key components to the colonies winning the revolution. Spying. Battling the mightiest navy of the time, General George Washington was fighting for every inch of land he and his command could peel off from the British. Understaffed, underfunded, and way outgunned, Washington had to find a creative way to battle the British. He needed eyes and ears in enemy territory so he could plan troop placement and determine weak points primed for attack. But the question was, how? The answer turned out to be a series of individuals already living in and around enemy territory who had become known as the Culper Spy Ring. So, what is the Culper Spy Ring? How did it get started? And what exactly did they do? Grab your cup of coffee, peeps. Let's do this. New York one of the most important cities to the colonies. Centrally located, New York was both a strong economic port and a necessary supply line. It also held the distinction of being in the middle of both British and colonial settlements. Whoever controlled New York had a distinct advantage over their adversary. So when the Patriots lost Brooklyn to British control, General George Washington was determined to prevent the taking of Manhattan. Understanding the important symbolic and practical importance of keeping Manhattan, Washington was determined to gather intelligence about the imminent British attempt to take the island. Without the modern technology of drones and spy planes that we have today, the only way to get the information he desired was to send someone to perform in-person reconnaissance. In other words, plant a spy. But who would be tapped for this important and dangerous mission? The selected candidate, Nathan Hale, was born June 6, 1755, and was an unassuming Yale graduate who joined the Colonial Army in Connecticut in July of 1775. Hale began his mission on September 12, 1776. Posing as someone looking for work as a teacher, Hale ventured deep into enemy-held territory, Long Island. His job was to observe and report back any British troop movement and to try to uncover the inevitable plot to storm Manhattan. Unfortunately, Hale was not able to gather much intelligence. The British had moved on from Long Island and successfully took Manhattan just three days after Hale began his mission, on September 15th. Just a week later, Hale was captured as a spy. There is no information about how or why Hale was apprehended. Long Island was filled with loyalists, or British sympathizers, and an unknown individual looking for work as a teacher in late September could have been a tip-off. But, however he was discovered, Nathan Hale was given no trial. Instead, he was marched to 66th Street and 3rd Avenue in Manhattan and forced to climb the gallows. Prepared for the punishment for spying, Hale would utter the last words, I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. Hale would be hanged on September 22nd. Losing his first spy in such a public and quick fashion devastated Washington, while fully aware of the dangers he asked of Hale, the general was not fully prepared for the loss and would be scared off from making another attempt at counterintelligence. Washington would wait another two years before he felt he was ready to restart his spying program. 
And he learned many lessons with the loss of Hale, including the importance of having an individual, or individuals, who could blend in with their surroundings and were familiar with the area. Both things Hale lacked. Benjamin Talmadge, a major in the Continental Army, was the first to enter the network. Born on February 25, 1754, he was just 24 years old when he was made the head of the counterintelligence operation in 1778. Talmadge would be responsible for overseeing a spy network who could securely transmit the information Washington so desperately wanted. His first recruit would be Abraham Woodhull, an old neighbor who had a sister living in Manhattan and made frequent trips to the enemy territory. Woodhull would be charged with further recruiting and developing individuals to aid in the effort. As a local, he would be able to identify fellow patriots who could move easily within enemy territory and gather the needed information. Very weary of anyone discovering his ties to counterintelligence, Abraham made Talmadge swear no one would know his true identity. Woodhull had to be cautious, and to that effort, code names were established so the spies could write their reports without fear of discovery. The names were devised to be common enough to not arouse suspicion, but not so common as to accidentally name an innocent bystander. Benjamin Talmadge took on the moniker John Bolton and gave Woodhill the first name of Samuel. Abraham chose the last name, and it was a nod to the commander-in-chief's childhood home territory. Culpeper, the neighboring county of Washington's youth, would be shortened to Culper, and it was with the creation of these fake names the Culper spy ring was born. Woodhill would then recruit Caleb Brewster, a longshoreman who was familiar with the various waterways surrounding New York. Brewster would be used as a messenger to relay reports from Woodhill to Talmadge. The second man recruited into the ring was Austin Rowe, a tavern keeper who would act as another link in the relay chain of messaging. They were joined by Robert Townsend in 1779 and a woman, only known as Agent 355. Very little is known about the mysterious agent who would prove helpful in picking up key pieces of information and relaying her observations to the ring. Charged with watching British supplies, ships, and troops, and reporting any unusual activity, the Culper Ring utilized letters to transmit their messages. Aware that letters were subject to search and paranoid about being discovered, the spy ring initially used invisible ink to write their correspondence. Made with a mix of lemon and lime juice, the messages would become clear when heat was applied. Unfortunately, this version of invisible ink was a known trick by the British, which necessitated extra precautions when transmitting their notes. As a cover, Robert Townsend got a job as a reporter so that he could more easily take notes and ask questions about troop movements. Townsend would hang around the harbor and coffee houses, recording what information he could and reporting back to Abraham Woodhull. In a close call, George Washington wrote to Talmadge about getting a special liquid and referred to one of the spies by their codename, Culper. Unfortunately, this letter ended up in the hands of the British. While not exactly a surprise, the discovery of the letters confirmed the Patriots were engaged in spying. Close calls like the discovery of their letters, in addition to the known invisible ink trick, pushed Talmadge to try to further protect their messages. He created a dictionary, substituting numbers for people and places. The code was a bit convoluted, but everyone was assigned their own number. George Washington, for example, was Agent 711. The idea with the numerical code was that should the letters be discovered and the invisible ink warmed, the message would be indecipherable to anybody who didn't have the key. Here is a sample from one of the letters written with the new code. Quote, they have some 345 of the route are 356 takes. I judge it mentioned in the 356, taken, or they would not be so 660, end quote. 
Translated, the letter basically says, they have some knowledge of the route our letter takes. I judge it was mentioned in the letter taken, or they would not be so vigilant. Washington suggested hiding messages in plain view, such as in the middle of a book or in a stack of papers, identifying the letters with only a special fold or special notation so as to not raise suspicion. The idea was the spies could more easily transmit their messages and get their intelligence out to Washington more quickly. While the first spy report from the Culper Ring was written in November of 1778, the first tangible success of the ring came in the spring of 1780. The British were known as top counterfeiters and had been devaluing colonial currency by flooding the market with fake bills. This made paying local troops, buying supplies, and obtaining credit quite challenging. In an effort to battle the counterfeiting scheme, the Continental Congress procured specialized paper for new currency. However, thanks to the Culper Ring, Washington was alerted to the fact that the British somehow managed to get their hands on the specialized paper and would be churning out fakes. Washington quickly sent word to Congress, who then canceled the colonial bills in March of 1780. While an expensive decision, the canceling of colonial bills proved a valuable lesson in the strengths of capable and well-placed spies. Unfortunately, no spy team is perfect, and the Culper spy ring had its share of missteps. Robert Townsend recruited his cousin James to act as a messenger. James would be responsible for relaying messages back and forth in an effort to expedite the time between intelligence gathering and intelligence sharing. While transmitting messages, James played the role of a loyalist trying to stay under the radar of any British-leaning neighbors. Unfortunately, James took to playing the role a little too well and was captured and turned into an American army camp. General Washington was not amused. The ring temporarily disbanded in the spring of 1780 a result of both mounting tensions between Washington and his ring and the lack of information available due to the British General Clinton's move to South Carolina. The spy ring didn't stay dormant for long, though. Washington requested the ring to reconvene in a July 11th letter to Talmadge, perhaps understanding that though there were missteps, the information provided by his spies had proved helpful. Washington got in on the fun himself and practiced his own deception, writing up fake battle plans about some attack on New York once the British were clear of the harbor. These letters were conveniently left and captured by the British. What prompted the general's deception? Well, he needed a way to get the French safely into New York Harbor without interference from the British. By letting it slip that he was prepared to storm Manhattan should the British leave it unattended to move against the incoming French, Washington forced Clinton to choose what he wanted more, keeping Manhattan or stopping the French. His trick worked, too, and his allies were safely able to land without taking on enemy fire. However, the Culper Ring's crowning achievement would not be the prevention of fake colonial currency or detailed notes about troop movements. The Ring would play a pivotal role in preventing the most infamous traitor in American history, Benedict Arnold, from handing over one of the most valuable military bases, West Point. But we're going to save that for next week, so be sure to tune in. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Civics and Coffee. If you want to hear more small snippets from American history, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining me, and I look forward to our next cup of coffee together. Mm-hmm.